Luke 2, verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that one angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. On that day, the Savior God stepped into earth. He stepped into our world and everything changed forever. And with him, he brought peace. And he brought joy. Joy to the world. Some of us in this season may be asking, where's my joy? What about your world? Has he stepped down into your world and brought joy? Or are you still waiting for that joy? For some of us, joy to the world is, frankly, the last thing on our mind. Especially in the holiday season. The holidays have a way of bringing up the messiness of life. I'm starting to realize as I get older. I'm almost 24. <laughs> but they, they do. They have a way of bringing up the brokenness, the severed relationships, the sadness and grief of lost loved ones, forgotten traditions, the difficulties of trying to make all the ends meet and being so overwhelmed. It gets so messy, and we may be asking ourselves, where is our joy? The title that I was given for this talk is, A Man and His Need for a Savior. And as I was thinking about it and going over it, I really think that I don't need to convince you of your need for a Savior. I don't know that that's something I need to tell this group about. If we're honest... And if we open our eyes for a moment, we will see it. We will see our need. We will see the brokenness. We will see the pain. I mean, even the ground that we stand on is cursed, marred by the stain of sin. The Bible tells us that it with all creation, all creation is groaning to be made whole again. And if we just open our eyes, we can see that brokenness. So I don't, I don't know that I need to remind you of your need for a Savior but maybe what you need to be reminded of is that that Savior has already come. Amen? Amen. He has already come and He is not done with you yet. He's not done with your mess. If you would, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 1.
Ephesians chapter 1, this is what verse 4 reads. Even before he made the world, this rock that we are all standing on that somehow we don't fall off of, that's spinning at thousands of miles, flying through space at thousands of miles. Talk about the Wonder Series. I mean, we live in a solar system that is of mere insignificance when compared to the galaxy of which it is in. If you ever look at that map, we're not even in the center. We're like way off. And that's one galaxy of who knows how many. Even before he made all of that, God loved us. Even before he made the world, God chose us in Christ to be holy. Even before he made the world, God chose us in Christ to be without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Even before he made all of it. If you would, go back in time with me. Roll back the clock. And as we go back in time, think about the mess of human history. Think about the world wars. Think about nations rising and falling. Think about the plagues and the disease that our world has seen. I mean, you think about empires. You think about the Crusades. You think about the Roman Empire. You think about the persecution of the early church. Keep going back. You can, you can think about the different oppression that the Israel nation went through by Babylon and Assyria. And, and you think about all the different characters we see in the Bible, like David, like Moses, like Abraham, like Noah. God using broken people and broken stories. You take it all the way back to the apex of human history when there was just two, Adam and Eve, and the brokenness that was there. And the text tells us that even before that, before they even took a bite, before any of this ever existed, there was God. He was hovering above the waters of the deep. It was just God. And this triune God, he had a conversation with himself, with all of human history laid out in front of him, everything that was, everything that is, everything that will be, Past, present, future. He saw all of that. He saw all the brokenness. He saw the toil and strife. He saw the suffering. He saw the suffering that he would endure on the cross. And with all of it laid out in front of him, he thought it was worth it. He saw it to be worth it to start this whole mess we know his existence off. He said, let us make man in our own image. That we might have relationship with them. Genuine relationship with them. And through that, be glorified. By how deeply we love them. Far beyond what they ever deserve. The text tells us, it gave God great pleasure. 
in stepping into our mess. It gave him great pleasure. So whatever it is that you might be walking through right now, one, be encouraged. I mean, this is nothing new. Human history has been a mess since the beginning. But two, be encouraged because God has already seen it. Before the beginning of time, he has seen it. But he doesn't see it like we see it. We look at our mess and we see brokenness and we see pain. He looks at it and he sees opportunity. Opportunity for love, for redemption, healing, for relationship. And ultimately, opportunity for his glory. So don't grow tired of doing the good things God has laid out before you. Don't grow tired of it. And I know it can be really hard. If you're like me, then you've probably asked, God, where are you in all this? I don't see you. Curtis uh, mentioned some of the things that God's done in my life. And every time he does something awesome, it's because there was a lot of brokenness and pain. And I'm, I'm just waiting for him. God, what are you going to do? And it's never easy. So if you're like me, you've been there. Where are you, God? I don't see you in this. And if you're like me, you've probably said to yourself before, man, how great would it have been to just live in the time of Jesus so I could see him with my own eyes. I could touch him. How great would it have been to live in the time of the Messiah? If you've said that, uh, be encouraged. We are not the first people to say that. If you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Verse 25. At the time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. I have seen your promised salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. 
Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and praying. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she too began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. A couple of things I want us to notice from this story of Simeon and Anna. The first thing I want us to notice is their long-suffering. They had endured long suffering. They were high up in age, a little bit older than me, just a little bit. And they had been waiting, just like the rest of the nation, waiting for freedom from their oppressors. And we see from this text that that burden was heavy on Simeon and Anna. That they were really weighed down and burdened by that fact. So they waited day in and day out. And what got them through their long suffering was that they were devout. They were devoted to the Lord, continually coming back to Him, day in and day out. Look at Anna. The text tells us that for, what, some odd 60 years, she would come day and night praying and fasting, eagerly waiting for the Messiah. If you are in a season of long suffering and the holidays have just heightened that, devote yourself to daily coming back to Him. Daily. Where's my joy? Where's my peace? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, peace. We so easily get stuck in this headspace of Lord, come to me. Where are you, Lord? Step into my situation and make it right. Where are you? Come to me. And we don't see any change because it never occurs to us that he's been there the whole time. Maybe it's time for us to go to him. Like, like Curtis said, maybe we've misplaced him. The second thing I want us to notice from this is that they never got to see the Resolution of their suffering. They never got to see it resolved. I mean, they had been waiting for the Messiah their whole lives. The one who would overthrow Rome and set them free. And they never got to see that. Now, we know they wouldn't have got to see that anyway. That's not what Jesus came to do. But they didn't get to see anything that Jesus came to do. They were waiting for a Messiah. They got to hold an eight-day-old baby. And they left their interaction with Mary and Joseph that day, still under Roman oppression, still without ever getting to see the big picture. They never got to see the end of their suffering. And I think that's something that we need to be prepared for. We may 
never see the end of our suffering on this side of eternity. But thank God, this side of the end of eternity is not the end. Amen? So, so my second point was that they never got to see the resolution of their suffering. My third point is that they didn't need to. Right? They didn't need to see it. They still were able to find peace somehow. They were still able to find joy. I mean, like Simeon says, thank you, Lord. Let me die now in peace. Not in anguish, not in suffering, in peace. The reason why they didn't need to see the ending was because we cannot, we cannot get joy and peace from our circumstances. We just, we can't. Only God can give joy and peace. Do not get joy and peace confused with happiness and lack of chaos. They are not the same thing. Happiness and lack of chaos are a cheap substitute the world tries to offer us. And far too often, we actually find ourselves addicted to. If you fear that that might be you, I want to challenge you. Maybe what you're feeling in this season is not a lack of joy or peace, but rather withdrawal. Withdraw from our unhealthy addiction to the cheap substitute. And we cry out to God, but God is just really not in the business of enabling our addiction. You know? Joy and happiness and peace and lack of chaos are just qualitatively not the same thing. That's why the opposite can also be true. You see successful people whose lives are going great. They have everything they could ever want. And yet their entire life is so devoid of peace. So devoid of joy. But they have everything. Only God can give joy and he can give peace. So when Simeon and Anna were holding that eight-day-old baby, they were looking with their eyes fixed on the Savior, not the circumstances. Their eyes fixed on the Savior, not the circumstances. So I'll ask again what I asked at the beginning. What about your world? Has Jesus stepped into your world and brought joy and peace? Or are you still waiting? And are you waiting for joy or are you waiting for happiness? There's no secret sauce to it. There's no magic bullet. It's just other than if we keep our eyes fixed on him and not the waves, he'll sustain us that we don't fall in. And even if we do, he picks us right back up. I want to end reading this psalm. If you will, it's uh, Psalm 27. This is a psalm of King David, and we just know, but through these words we can see he's been through a lot. He knows it. 
Psalm 27 reads this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why then should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. And the one thing, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing praises to the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now, God. Don't abandon me. O God of my salvation, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am convinced. Yet I am convinced I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. I am convinced I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here on earth in the land of the living. In this last verse, the, the, this whole psalm is, is very inward. He's talking about myself. I have seen the Lord's goodness. I, Lord, don't leave me. This last verse, he turns a corner. And now he's talking to us, the reader. And it says this. He's giving us instruction based on all that he's been through. Look at this last verse with me. Wait Patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Just like Anna, just like Simeon, wait patiently for the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on Him, and He will give you joy and peace. Amen.